0: every day I'm hustling 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 every day I'm every day I'm every day I'm hustling every day I'm hustling hello and welcome who are listening to the hustle Points NBA show I am your grieving Grizz guy Rudy St Clair and joining me today is actor, screenwriter, and all-around creative individual, as well as TSJ101 Raptors beat writer, Bobby Del Rio. How are you doing today, Bobby?
1: I'm good, brother. How you doing?
0: I'm good, myself. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter, at NBA underscore Rudy, where you can tell me I clearly don't know basketball. And, uh, Bobby, where can uh, the people find you online these days?
1: Uh, I'm uh, at at Bobman, B-O-B-M-A-N, on Twitter, uh, I've got links to TSJ101, all my articles, all my content, all my projects there. So, at Bobman. On...
0: All right. Well, um, you're just uh, coming in from the Raptors game tonight. I believe Washington was visiting, if I wasn't mistaken. How was that?
1: Yeah. Look, the game started off crappy. <laughs> uh, like, I have subheadings throughout my articles. So, I think the first quarter subheading is, is something like... Toronto Raptors versus Washington High School. <laughs> uh, like, we were literally shutting them out, which is, it's a basketball game. Then they didn't score for four minutes. And I was like, oh, this is, this is going to be a really, really easy game. And then I don't know what happened, but they just, they just turned it on and then there was a dog bite. And then they, they were up 12 in the third quarter. Um, and then basically the whole team woke up. Uh, And then we basically blew him out, but it was, it was a pretty good game. I was surprised.
0: That's good. I think I did not get the chance to see Mark Gasol and my new team, the Raptors, uh, (laughs) do any damage to Washington. (laughs) So (laughs) you,
1: you jump ship, you're, you're a Raptors fan now.
0: Oh yeah. I'm hopping on the bandwagon uh, full stop. Uh, Not, (laughs) not really, but you know, I have always had a slight affinity for the Raptors. So, and I, and I do uh, wish Mark the best. Uh, so, when the regular season it. ends, I'll put on my playoffs hat uh, for the Raptors and root for y'all all the way, for sure.
1: Do it, brother. We could use the support. Oh, yeah. Uh, look, Marcus, all. I don't know if I've ever seen a player that has come to our team and been so, like, beloved so quickly. Like, he's only played, like, I think, three games for us. Right. And it's like, we, like, love him. Like, he checked in, he comes off the bench right now, and he got, like, a a standing ovation. (laughs) I was like, what? Just from coming in the game.
0: Yeah, he's a Um, super lovable guy. I mean, um, everyone in Memphis loves him for sure. I would say the only drawback for Mark, really, of this whole situation is that it's going to be a lot harder to garden in Toronto than it is in Memphis.
1: Yeah, I mean, you do it indoor, you know.
0: Yeah, someone's gonna have to go teach him how to garden inside.
1: I didn't know how good he was. Oh but yeah, it sounds stupid because I know, like, I know he's put up the number. I just never really followed the the Grizzlies. You know, I never really followed Gasol. I knew he could score and rebound, and I knew he was good at defense. But I didn't really know, like, all this, like, All NBA Defensive Player of the Year. But it's it's even forget about all that stuff. He just. He, like, he dove on the floor today for a ball to get a steal in the fourth quarter. He dove. What is he, like
0: 7-2? Oh, yeah, he's a big boy, for sure.
1: And the man is the man died. I think it was a guard at the ball. He dove on the floor to get the ball. And like, I think that's why we love him so much in Toronto, because, like, I don't know if you remember Matt Bonner. Oh, yeah. Um, so, Matt Bonner, he started with us, and then he moved to the Spurs. He had a great, you know, sort of career as a role player. And we love Bonner because of his hustle, and, and this is Marc Gasol. I mean, every possession, it's like he's defending, he's already anchoring our defense, he's rebounding, he's passing, he's like, he just cares, like, every possession, you know?
0: Yeah, I think of him, especially being in a winning environment now, is going to be really good for him. He he hasn't really been in the best space for him in Memphis, whether he'd admit that or not, for the past two seasons or so. Uh, Mark's also the kind of guy to really wear his emotions on his sleeve, you know. So when he's feeling good, you're going to know it. And you can see the whole crowd in Toronto feed off that energy. And I think that might be another part of what goes into you guys loving him so much already, uh, other than him just being a baller. I mean, that guy has never missed a shot his whole career, seemingly anyway. I mean, the dude was shooting like 60% just his second year in the league before he even got in shape. I mean he's right. he's a really great player. Y'all y'all got a steal for the for the price you paid anyway. I mean CJ Miles, Delon Wright, and a second round pick from twenty years from now. I mean yeah. hey, you guys no got care. a steal.
1: <laughs> well, I think I mean I didn't quite understand I mean I'm obviously happy to get Marcus Saul because I we didn't really give up that much. Um and in fact I think CJ Miles was a contract we wanted to get rid of. So I didn't quite understand, like, why Memphis would trade Gasol. And then now I, I think it was like, now I get it. Like, it's kind of like, it's almost like a reward, you know? It's like, he kind of paid his dues. He deserves a chance to be on a championship contender. For sure. Like, it felt like that to me because it's, because it's almost like, it was almost like, like, because Memphis is end of the deal. I mean, like, Valanciunas is a good player. He's twenty six years old, makes seventeen million dollars a year. So he's not exactly a steal, but he can play. Delon Wright is a good, good young player. And also twenty six. He's going to be an RFA though at the end of the year, so his price is going to go up a lot. And CJ Miles is a thirty something shooter who's had a terrible year. And then we gave a second round pick, but. To me, that doesn't make sense unless you start to realize, oh, like Marcus Gasol is a great human being, a great basketball player. Gave his heart to the Grizzlies. He still loves the Grizzlies. Like even in a, an interview the other day, and he is a Raptor now, and he was talking about the Grizzlies, and he said "us," but he was referring to the Grizzlies.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And and it's like he had to check himself to be like, oh, I mean, actually, I'm a Raptor now. <laughs> like,
0: yeah, that's eleven years of habit. He has to curb of associating himself with Memphis. I mean, Toronto's a really great fit for him. I'm I'm happy. Uh, moving on from Mark a little bit, though, I want to get more into you and, and your career a little bit. So um, i like to ask sure. everyone on my show um, how their basketball love story really started. So do you uh, have a single moment that you can remember that really kick-started your basketball fandom with uh, where it all began and everything?
1: I mean, okay, so I'm 41 years old uh and i've loved basketball ever since i was a kid like nine or something it's kind of a weird thing because i don't know where that came from like my dad is a is, um, italian so he's a big soccer fan we didn't have a lot of basketball fans in our in our neighborhood but i just really liked it and i it was the only sport like i've always loved sports ever since i was a child like the first thing i would do before i would eat breakfast is i would wake up and i'm like eight years old and i would read the sports section you know every single page before i could like eat and start my day right Mm -hmm. just just my whole life it was just something i just i just really loved and so because i love sports so much and i was you know sort of a dork right so i knew all the stats and i knew all like i just i was that kind of kid and then i played like every sport i could and i was terrible at every sport (laughs) You know, what I mean? like hockey, like I can't skate. I still can't skate to this day. Like football, I, you know, if I get tackled, I would cry. You know, I remember I played baseball one year and, I, you know, I, it's like I the ball would come to me, I would catch it, it would fall out of my glove and boo. I just have all these – I just feel like I was booed. <laughs> <Like> <laughs> my entire childhood in sports, I was always the last person picked. I was like the smallest kid. I was I, like – it was very strange because I loved sports so much, and I was so terrible at them um, until basketball. Basketball was the first sport where I could actually play pretty well. Like I never, obviously, I'm just I never had delusions I was going to go to the NBA or anything like that. But I could actually play and not be booed. And sometimes I was really good, and then I so I would just go and I would just you know shoot the ball for two hours by myself. Mm -hmm. Uh, after school and I just I just I guess from there I just started to really uh, like the game and understand it like actually as a player and and I think when you understand the game as a player it really helps you to understand all the rules and and really I think develop a passion for the larger mechanisms at play because you understand the principle at the core of your emotions where you just you know you know what it takes to want to like you want to you know like I've hit so many game winners just you know recreationally and all my whole life I've been playing over thirty years, um, and so you know you kind of dream of oh, this was the NBA three two what you know you take the shot and then then you follow the NBA and it's like you actually see it like Kawhi hit a game winner with four seconds left uh, like two days ago against the Nets although he banked it and there's no way. That he he wanted to have a bank shot from the elbow, but whatever, uh-huh. he hit the shot. So it's
0: yeah, definitely not. He was even kind of writing that off. That off, I think in the post game interview, saying like I banked it, but that's how basketball goes sometimes, or something along those lines. Uh, tell One, me, two, how,
1: yeah, yeah.
0: How old were you when you first picked up hoops? Oh
1: man, I want to say like eight or nine. Yeah, yeah. So it's definitely just, been 30, it just 30, fit, years. it just fit me. Remember, I'm like a terribly like like athletically challenged person uh or just i was as a child but basketball i just i don't know i just i just i always got it like right away i was like oh i can just shoot it like this kind of soft and it goes in like i remember very like i was always really really good at like free throws and and it was very surprising to me because i kept waiting for the other shoe to drop because i was like Well hold on, like why do I why don't I suck at this the way I suck at every other sport I've attempted in my entire life?
0: (laughs) Right. Right. And so um you grew up in Canada?
1: Yeah, I grew up in Toronto. I mean I was born in Toronto and then we moved to the Bahamas for a few years. Yeah. Um and then I lived in London, Ontario. My dad went to law school for three years, and we moved back here when I was nine years old. Okay. Um and that's when I became a big Blue Jays fan, and like I, I remember even dreaming that Toronto would get an NBA franchise. I, no, I don't know why. I went to Catholic school, so maybe I prayed to God. I mean, I don't remember. <laughs> um, but I really was like, oh, please, if we Toronto could get an NBA franchise, I would love it so much because I love basketball. Yeah, and you got your and prayer like. answered. And I did. And I when we got a franchise, you know, and then you guys too, the Grizzlies, and they were in Vancouver originally, right? Right. I mean, it was so exciting. It, it's like the sports world completely changed in Toronto from that moment. How so? Uh, look, it was. I mean, it was also hockey. Was is we're in Canada, right? So like everybody's hockey, but the Leafs were so terrible for so long, like embarrassingly bad, and so people are like. Ugh. He, he, like I became a Montreal Canadiens fan, which are like the rivals of the Leafs. <laughs> and then the Blue Jays were amazing. And the Blue Jays won, you know, I was like, I think 14 or 13 when we won the World Series in 92. And then we won it again in 93. And it was just, I mean, it was absolutely, it was an incredible time to be a sports fan. Um, and it was already a shift, right? Because it's like baseball had only been around since 77 when I was born, actually but we weren't really good until kind of the mid 80s and then we started to get really good and then we actually won the whole thing we're like and the Leafs are still were still crappy i think around then they had one good like the Doug Gilmore years were pretty good and then like a couple years later now we've got this nba team now maybe that's because of the success of the blue jays um, where maybe people start to go oh like toronto is a really good sports market cuz we i think we set the record for attendance in the in the early 90s um and then we got this nba franchise shortly thereafter and it was very funny though because the city was very divided where it was like if you were older you were like um like a hockey fan and if you were younger then you became a basketball fan okay and there, there was also a racial thing like toronto is an interesting city because like right now we're about 50 percent uh, multicultural so like I'm half Chinese and half Italian. So I'm basically half white and half ethnic in a city that's like half white and half ethnic, but it's a very funny thing. And I, I remember because I liked basketball people, people, you kind of had to pick, like people were like, well, hold on. Like they, I think they even said like, that's for black people. It's kind of like, if you liked hockey, that was for white people. If you like basketball, that's for black people. Yeah. And I was Chinese Italian, so I was like, "Well, what the hell do I do?" <laughs> yeah,
0: it's sort of the same way here in the Deep South, just a little bit. So, um, tell me—I I understand you started your career more in the film industry rather than the yeah, the yeah. sports writing industry, right? So um, that's true. Tell me what took you from film to basketball. What that journey was like.
1: So I don't know if you're a fantasy guy, but I'm—I'm I'm like a fantasy sports addict. So I've had a pretty good career in the entertainment industry and I'm still active. Like, I, like I'm going to be shooting uh, in the spring where I play a lead in the show. I'm not supposed to talk about it too much yet, but we'll be shooting in a couple months. months. Uh, I have a feature screenplay in development. I've won with a major Hollywood studio. I've won up here. Like I've got a lot of projects, um, but I always had this kind of like secret love for sports. Uh, even like, even to this day, like the first thing I do when I wake up is I check my fantasy teams, um, and like I don't have one fantasy team. Like I'm, I play in twenty three fantasy basketball leagues right now.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right, I think um, twenty four is the the line for addiction. So you're good. You're good.
1: Okay. Well, I'll be joining that number twenty. I have actually joined number twenty four, but I haven't been sent the invite yet. But
0: <laughs> it's a uh, like, everyone it, knows what's best for you. They're, they're like even you even limits. a few
1: years ago, I remember. I- 100 fantasy leagues at the same time, all four sports combined.
0: Wow. That's, man. It's, I've known some fantasy nuts, but that's that's the cream of the crop there that I've ever heard. It's too
1: many. It's too many, but I loved it. I loved it. And the reason that I joined so many is because I wanted to learn every single format for fantasy sports. Because the first time I played, it was, it was basketball, obviously. And I was so dominant in that league. Like, I think I lost twice all year and then I just killed everybody in the playoffs. It was my first time ever playing fantasy sports. And I destroyed it. But I was but I've been in like pools since I was a teenager and I would always win. Like I, I would run the pools. I was I was very a stats dork always. Right. So yeah, like I you know, that's when like you would I would only get the stats from the there's no internet then, right? So it would be like the newspaper would publish the stats like once a week on Tuesdays or something like that. And so I would, like, look at the stats from the Tuesdays and then add them up that day. So once a week, I would tally the points for the pool, all, all this. Anyway, it's a lot of work. So when Fantasy Sports was, was like, online and with Yahoo Sports, which is the provider that I always use, um, it was kind of like, oh, my God. It was, like, like all my dreams from my teenage years has come true. And I just, like, loved it. I just really loved it. And then, so whatever. So I was in Leagues. And this was, and so this was not, I was not in the, in the sports industry at all. Like I just was obsessed with fantasy sports. Um, and then I, I was following, and because I, I'm on all these leagues and I, I prefer dynasty leagues. Do you know anything about fantasy sports? really?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Just a little bit. The dynasty leagues are a relatively new thing, right?
1: Uh, yeah. Relatively in terms of popularity, dynasty leagues, it's just a fancy name for basically you keep all your players every year. So it's like you have a real team, but it's like you have a real team. And I was a big like sports card collector growing up. Um, like my cousin Fabio was, you know, he was a couple years older than me. He was just like he just knew everything that was sports. Like I think he was like twenty years old. He, he literally got a job editing uh, a sports guide. Like you would pay for guides, which would give you the values. Of, and I think he was the editor. Like it was like, he knew so much. So he helped me. But like I was, so I would I have rookie cards of everyone still. T- Day. I have like Charles Barkley's rookie card. You know, That's I have awesome. like Marielle Lemieux's rookie card. I have Patrick Waugh's rookie card. I have anybody who was a star from like, you know, 1985 to 1995. I probably have their rookie card still, right?
0: Hell yeah. It sounds like a retirement fund to me.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, look, there's a lot. There's, I have, you know, there's some money invested in those for sure. Um, but also, sports card collecting was really, really big when I was um, a teenager. So it was just, you know, a lot of people my age kind of did that. So then, I really was into sort of like, rookies and players and this idea of ownership and in a way treating players like stocks. Um, And I, I also have an economics background, like I my education was I started originally in economics um at the University of Toronto um, which is you know one of the best universities in Canada and then I ended up transferring to theater school and I became a trained actor okay. um, but but I always had this like affinity for for just numbers and math and calculations and anyway so you add that with sports and then fantasy and so whatever I got hundred leagues and then dynasty leagues is kind of like a throwback to when I used to have player rookie cards because when you're in these leagues so I have someone like Aaron Judge in like five different baseball leagues that I drafted them two years before he was in the major leagues because you can do rookie drafts in um, in dynasty leagues, which is very exciting. So you you're doing all this research to find out who are the top prospects, right? So because I was doing all that, there was a there was a a baseball writer named John Sickles. He's one of the best uh, minor league baseball writers. In the world, and actually he just uh, moved over to the athletic, um, which is a real uh, coup for them because John Sickles is a genius in my opinion. So whatever. So I just know all this stuff about – I'm always doing research just for these leagues. And so I was following John Sickles, and then there was was this guy named uh, Ray Gwilfoyle. I think that's how you say it. Um, And I started following him because he wrote a lot on minor league ball, which is this website that John Sickles created. And this, there's a reason I'm saying all this stuff, right? So I was just, so I started following him just because I wanted up to the date, up to date sort of like baseball prospect information, because I'm in all these fantasy leagues on all these sports and I want the latest information. And then one day, Ray uh, on Twitter is like, hey, we're looking to hire a fantasy basketball writer who's interested. And so this is, this is about five or six years ago. And like, I, you know, I was a fantasy sports dork. I've been, I, at that point, I'd been a published playwright um, and professional screenwriter for 15 years. So I had the writing skills. I knew the fantasy sports. Ba- fantasy basketball was my favorite sport because basketball my favorite sport. Just, again, it's only sport I could play my whole life, so I like it the most. And so I applied for the job and I got it. And then within a week, I don't know if it's the quality of my articles or... I don't know if I got lucky, but I think they really liked what I did. But Yahoo Sports started republishing my articles one week onto that job.
0: Oh, yeah, that's um, huge.
1: Like like literally, it's like the, the byline is it's like Yahoo Sports, like they're sending to their people Bobby Del Rio. And I would do rankings of like the top. I think I had like the top 30 small forwards and the top 30 point guards. The top, and I did all the positions because that was one of the requirements of my job. And then Yahoo Sports started republishing them and i remember talking to my editor and i was like oh I, that's pretty cool that that yahoo sports republishes your content and he goes what are you talking about <laughs> yeah. i said no because yahoo i sent him a link he's like oh that's never happened before i was like oh that's cool and i was like oh okay maybe i got lucky i don't know and then a the month later andy Behrens, who is one of the most famous fantasy sports writers in the world and he was my idol in terms of a fantasy sports writer that I looked up to, and I I just enjoyed as an audience member, um, DMs me on Twitter, and I thought it was a joke. Like, I thought somebody was punking me. But he had been following my articles, and he thought I was good, and he invited me into the Yahoo Experts League. And the Yahoo Experts League is a league made up of, basically, like, the best fantasy sports writers in the world. Right. yeah,
0: that's that's quite the honor. I mean, I I doubt yeah. it was all luck. I mean, really, you, yeah. You and I got
1: a... it like a month. That's a month into the job, and I was like, are you kidding me? Anyway, I ended up finishing second place in that league. <laughs> that's like, I just worked hard. I knew my stuff. I did really well against people that I've been following for years. Now they're becoming sort of colleagues and competitors, and it was really fun. Like everybody's really respectful. It was it was a really good experience. Um, but like I. I came in second place, and the week before it was Scott Pianowski beat me at Yahoo. The week before, I would have beat him in the finals, you know, because there's always an element of luck every week. Um, but after, like, it just that's what kind of started my sports writing career. It was really sort of accidental in a way, right? Yeah,
0: just a little bit. So, were you doing film just in the middle of all of this as, as well? You've always done both hustles at the same time, or sort of ebb and flow well, so in between it's them. It's
1: funny you ask me that because that's actually it's actually. It's weird, right? So after I did the Fantasy, I got into the Fantasy Friends and Family League, the Experts League, finished in second place. Things kind of blew up for me a little bit. I became like one of the stars of my site um, because I was the first person from their website ever invited into that league. It was a, it's, a, it's a big deal in the fantasy world to be invited to that league. and to do so well. And then I got invited again the next year. And then I got pr- promotion at my job. And then I was doing five articles a week. And I was doing DFS. And I was so my, my, I was writing two articles a week for fantasy, like I, and, but at the same time, my screenwriting career was taking off, and I created this um, this web series that we ended up selling to television in Canada, to actually the biggest media corporation in Canada, Bell Media, and they own something like 80 channels in Canada or something stupid. And I had to choose between, okay, well, I've got momentum now in this fantasy writing world, but I also I have momentum in the screenwriting world, which I've, and I and I've been doing that for about seventeen years. So I, I didn't have time to keep writing five articles a week when I'm also screen you know I'm screenwriting at all of these projects and directing films and acting in movies and stuff like had it's cool I am pretty cool life, you know? but I had to pick. So I just was like, well, look the the fantasy sports writing thing was really just a hobby where I kind of. I don't know if I got lucky or if I was good or whatever, but um, it, kind of, it kind of took more of my focus than I had intended. So I kind of stopped doing it. That, that, that was maybe four or five years ago. And then, I don't know, this year, I just really missed writing about sports. And I, I literally consume about three to four hours of basketball content a day, just out of interest. Like, I'll just, like, listen to every podcast and every YouTube thing, read every article. I get the, I get Twitter notifications on my phone, up-to-the-minute information all the time. Just out of interest, just because I like basketball so much, right? And also fantasy, but it's really, like, just, I really enjoy the sport. And then, um, and again, like, I on Twitter, like, TSJ, they were looking for someone to cover the Raptors, and I applied. Uh, I got the job, and, like, very quickly, like I've, I've got momentum again in the sports world. Like, I'm doing four podcasts this week. Um, and one of them have, has like an affiliation with, um, with TSN, it's like one of the top uh television broadcasters in Canada, right? right. So, I've just got momentum again. It's, it, it's funny because I mean, I don't know if it's luck or I'm in the right place or right time or I'm good, I don't know what it is, but it just seems like as soon as I re enter the sports writing industry. I just seem to move up the ranks so quickly that I don't know, maybe there's something here. So I guess I don't really like it's, it's again sort of unexpected where sports keeps calling my name and then people are really interested in what I have to say. And then they keep sort of inviting me back, inviting me back, inviting me back. And now again, I'm at the place where I'm like, Oh, like, Oh, like what do I pick? But if you're LeBron James, I mean, you both. So maybe I can do both. I don't know. <laughs>
0: Yeah, really. We we all are. We we all have to channel our inner LeBron James sometimes, you know.
1: Oh yeah, like I just think if if LeBron James put as much attention on his own team as he did to his business ventures, the Lakers would be undefeated, you know. <laughs> yeah,
0: or at least when he plays, he's injured for like the first time in his whole career this season, and coincidentally, <laughs> uh, it's after. Uh, a little dinner with Anthony Davis in L.A. Right now we've had this whole three weeks of shenanigans, all to amount to ultimately nothing but an Anthony Davis minutes restriction. I haven't even gotten into any of that on my show, just because I've been grieving the loss of Mark. I
1: haven't. Right. Well, I mean, look, you should. Mark a great guy, a great player. I mean, uh, it's funny because the Grizzlies franchise, you know, they're they're almost a throwback to the way basketball used to be but I think it's just you know the NBA is changing it's like it's hard to be a small market team um and the players they just I don't know it's like they just they only want to go to like the big name brand franchises that can make them stars like the Raptors were in a way we're just lucky because our team is amazing right now because I think to be honest, it's our, our GM, Messiah Ujiri, is one of the best GMs in basketball.
0: Absolutely. Arguably the best. Him and Daryl Moyer, or me personally.
1: Uh, he's up there, man. I, I mean, if we weren't so good, like it does, he just finds a way to get these, these hidden gems all the time and make us good. And we just keep getting better and better. And then eventually, like, the word around the league is hey, man, like, these Raptors, they're always good. Like, maybe I should play for them. And then we get the situations where Mark Gasol is excited to come here, where Memphis is going to like trade him to us almost as a favor to him, you know. And then Jeremy Lin, who makes twelve million bucks a year, you know, he finalizes a buyout with the Hawks this week, and then he signs with us for penis because he wants to be on a winner. Yeah. So, you know. But look, if if we weren't winning those games, if we if, you know if we didn't have Masai we might be in the exact same situation as you where we're like, all right, let's 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 trade Lowry somewhere else that maybe is a good situation for him and let's just shed his salary and start again.
0: Do you think if you lose Kawhi this off season that y'all are going to end up doing some sort of uh, big rebuild where you trade away Lowry and go all in on youth and start over? Or do you think you just sort of retool?
1: No, no I don't. I think Kawhi quite trade it. Um, I like Kawhi Leonard. I think he's a very good individual player. Um, But, like, he, he didn't play tonight. He's missed, I don't know, 12 games. I mean, he's missed a lot of games. Right. We beat Golden State and, and the Clippers, I think, back-to-back on the road, and Kawhi Leonard wasn't even playing. Um, I think Kawhi Leonard is a really, really good player, but we were winning before him. We'll win after him. I don't think he's going to stay. I hope, I mean, if he does, it will be great, but I don't even think we need him, to be honest. Like, I look at someone like Mark Casal, even, and he's going to opt in. We'll have him next year. Um, I Maybe it sounds crazy to say, but I either at Mark Casal than Kawhi Leonard on this.
0: Yeah, like, as far as influence on the team, Mark is definitely a, a bigger net positive uh, than Kawhi and his sort of aloofness. Uh, I remember seeing Pascal get asked one time what the most uh, annoying thing is about just being in the league or being on the Raptors or something like that. And he said being asked what Kawhi is like all the time. Right. Which it it came like two weeks after Zach Lowe spent like 20 minutes picking his brain on Kawhi. I just found that kind of funny. Pascal is another guy I really like on the, on the Raptors. He's a, he's super good. I think he has multiple time all-star potential.
1: Oh, I agree. Pascal hit set a career high today. 44 points.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's wild. He had a, yeah. a few blocks. He made uh, four to five threes. He, he took, you know, he, he went off tonight for sure. He's so He's fast. Great. He's probably the fastest guy on the team.
1: I think um my, in my article that will be published later tonight or tomorrow morning, the last line is something like, um, the night before Valentine's Day, Pascal Siakam has clearly captured the hearts of everyone in the city of Toronto.
0: Oh, yeah, that's good. That's good. That's good.
1: Uh, but it's true, man. I mean, we're gonna build around him. He's the future. We have so many good players. We have a good reputation. I th- you know, we got guys like Mark Gasol who comes here. He loves it. He's gonna come back again he, next year. And then we've got so next year. Right now, uh, assuming Gasol opts in, which I'm sure he will, because twenty six and a half million bucks or whatever it is, a lot of money, right? Twenty five point six. Something like that, 25, 26 million bucks. And then. But then that expires next year. And then Lowry is making, I think, $34 million or something. That expires next year. And then Ibaka is making like $23 million. That expires next year. So either way, even if Kawhi doesn't resign, if he does, I would like him. But if not, we are still going to have Marc Gasol, Kyle Lowry, Serge Ibaka, Pascal Siakam, who I'm sure we're going to sign long term. He's the future of this team. You know, OG Ananobi, Fred Van Gleet, uh, whoever else is gonna come here, like that's even without Kawhi Leonard. We're we're gonna we're gonna be a contender next year as well. So and then we're gonna have what, almost a hundred million dollars expiring next year. Yeah. Like maybe eighty million expiring. Not, not include, like the only people who are going to be under contract at that point are, are presumably Pascal Siakam, uh, I think Norman Powell, a couple minor people. But at that point, we can consider rebuilds. But what I'm hoping is that we've built a currency in the NBA so strongly and a winning culture that this is going to be one of those destinations where you come to win. Like maybe we're like the San Antonio Spurs of the North, you know?
0: I mean, it definitely feels that way with the way that you guys have sort of farmed talent over the years with uh, some of your young guys. You know, sort of coming out of nowhere, Uh, Grizzlies just signed uh, y'all's most famous farm farm project. Yeah, Bruno. He's he's two years away from two years away four years ago, so we're finally at the point where he's getting a multi-year deal after his rookie-scale contract. Grizzlies just picked him up. So
1: today he signed that today, didn't he? That multi-year.
0: Yep, yep. Even uh, making the tie to the Raptors and the Grizzlies even deeper.
1: Well, yeah, uh, look, I really I really like that Jaron Jackson Jr. you guys got.
0: Oh yeah. He's he's the future of this franchise for sure. I think he might be one of the best big men in the league 5-6 years from now.
1: Yeah, he's I mean, he's so young too. He was one of the youngest players taken in the draft. He's going to be a superstar. I, you know, I think Memphis has a bright future. It's just the move, you know, the moves. And you, do you have your first round pick this year?
0: See, here's the thing it's sort of um, explanatory as to why we made the sort of weird moves that we made at the trade deadline, is because we prefer to uh, keep or convey our first round pick uh, only if it's uh, not the best, basically. So uh, the Celtics have our pick right now, and it's top eight protected now top six protected next year, and then it keeps dwindling after that. I think it goes unprotected in like three or four years. I'm not sure. But regardless, we'd like to pay off this debt to the Celtics now, and so we want to get the ninth spot in the lottery. That way we either end up with, this is how the math works out with the new lottery odds, with either only a top four pick, or we convey the pick at number nine to the Celtics. So we're basically getting someone good, or we're getting off this debt because we picked up some playable mid-20s players who can get us to 35
1: wins. And this is the year for that pick to convey because this draft sucks.
0: Right, right. It's like we can either get three, one of the three Duke kids, someone else, or it's not worth it. And so I like our strategy. It's weird. It's very unique. But I like it.
1: I get it I'm thank like I'm glad that we you know I'm doing this podcast because I didn't understand exactly so complicated some of this stuff but it makes sense when you say it in such simple terms um, especially because this this is such a terrible draft here I've been researching even before I had this job I was researching the 2019 NBA draft for both the last six months because I played now I'm in 23 fantasy basketball leagues right so <laughs> um, you know, I need to know. Like, I I just love prospects. I know the draft really, really well. I could have done the NBA draft pick. Like, I could do the lottery for real. If I was an NBA GM, I could have done it four months ago. Like, I know the draft class really well, and this is a terrible, terrible draft class. It's actually somewhat deflating to know a class so well and know how terrible they are (laughs) yeah you're just gonna know the names of um, all the scrubs throughout the year the league
0: for the for years to come
1: (laughs) yeah i mean i mean i know everyone's talking about zion and they love zion but i mean he can't shoot and he's an undersized power forward like i think he's still gonna work out but i don't know you can't shoot in a in a league that is geared towards shooting and yes you can jump really really high but you're actually shorter than a lot of people at your position, and if you have an injury or, God forbid, you lose some of that explosiveness, you're almost useless to the league. He's a, pretty useless. He's basically just a, a really strong guy that can jump really high.
0: Yeah, he's like a some sort of weird combination of like a young Zach Randolph and a young Zach Levine. Mm-hmm. Get get all the Z names in there: Zach, Zach, and Zion.
1: Yeah, and then and then. Barrett is, you know, he's sort of inefficient, and Cam Reddish is even more inefficient, which is crazy because you have you're playing with this guy Zion, who gets so much attention, so you're getting more open looks, and yet you're still inefficient. And then you got John Moran, and John Moran, like he plays for like a very small school, and then you've got all these guys who've got major injury issues or attitude issues an inconsistent play all across the board and i'm just like man you know when you said that to me it makes a lot of sense because you're like if you're going to pay your debt pay it this year because the odds of them getting like good players are are low
0: right and then you know this upcoming offseason we could offload conley if we chose to while he still has a couple years left on his deal Or maybe even the next season when he's expiring and for some reason his value goes up for whatever reason. And uh, that will be the years with higher quality draft classes for us to really try and tank the right way and just throw in young dudes that need the experience while we lose some games and get up on those lottery odds for draft classes that are worth
1: it. I actually know a little bit the Memphis Grizzlies than I do, about other franchises in the NBA, because uh, I guess you didn't hear. I'm obsessed with fantasy basketball. <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't get the news. Um, so one of my leagues is I have the Memphis Grizzlies, and it's a very interesting format where you get to keep everyone who's on the real life Memphis Grizzlies roster unless you trade them. So anytime a new player is joins the Grizzlies, basically I get to keep him, right? So like like I like I've been tracking Ian Rab, you know, for the last three months. Because I'm like, oh, well, he's going to be the backup power forward. So he goes, you know, so I, I pay close attention to the Grizzlies' roster because it, it helps me in, in this league. Um, but what do, what do you think of Ian Rabb?
0: I'm a, is, is Ivan Rabb? I hate to, to be the. There you the go. Cracker. I appreciate it. No, it's okay. Ivan Rabb is definitely not a household name. Um, uh, one of the first times I even acknowledged that Ivan Rabb was on the roster was. Um, last season when I got the chance to go up to Memphis and watch just some regular old season game. And um, guys probably four to ten rows up behind me. it's hard for me to remember exactly. But they just kept screaming whenever they got the chance, just, free Ivan Reb! Free <laughs> Ivan Reb! And, and now we're actually getting the chance to see where that guy was coming from with him in the starting lineup. Um, I like him. I think he's solid. I don't think he'll ever be better than um, a Jermichael Green, even. But I think he can serve the same role just as well at a at his peak. But we'll we'll see with a uh, JBB throwing him in the starting lineup over Valentinus.
1: Oh, I don't think I don't think that'll happen. I mean, I guess from a fantasy perspective, I was a little curious because now I know Green got traded. Obviously, Gasol got traded, and then they didn't have Valentinus at the time they had Darren jackson jr is the future of the franchise he's he's got to be a power forward but he's a pfc right so i don't know and he's such an unconventional player i'm like well how do you how do you use him i mean i would imagine because he, he can shoot that three you're going to use him as a stretch yeah and ivan rab not ian rab <laughs> thank mm-hmm. you man. um ivan rab he's more of a like a, a prototypical nba power forward right like he's not really he's not a stretch
0: yeah forward, for is he? sure he uh, he's uh, he made one three the other night and it felt surprising, but you know yeah. everyone's taking him now. So,
1: so yeah. So you got so you got. So I I wonder where his role is right because yeah. you got like J V is a very very good player. He's very very efficient. He's just limited. I mean this is I think why we traded him for someone like Casal. Now that I see what Casal can do because. Look, Valanciunas can—he's very efficient. Like within ten feet of the basket, he hits his free throws. He's a pretty good rebounder, but he doesn't block shots. Can't really pass. Can't really shoot threes. You know, he's not very quick. It's not really a leader. He's—he's a—he's a, he's a really guy, but he really just kind of like dunks the ball and gets rebounds. But he does those things really well. So I feel like he uh, would play with somebody like. Um, jaron jackson jr very very well right
0: yeah i definitely agree i i don't think it's like a a move looking forward like too deep into the future because the age gap there is pretty significant but i think maybe just uh while we're kind of growing up jaron a little bit it could be a good idea to stick him next to a hyper traditional center like uh jv and get him give him the chance to learn how to pay play the forward spot so he's not just a stuck trying to be a five his whole career well i think that's probably his most valuable position on the floor at uh most minutes is at the five i think he'll probably right. start most games his whole career at the four
1: and then i guess so you know someone like ivan Rabb. i mean what's his role i mean i guess he's got what the Jamichael green role
0: yeah i would just i would give him a credit for a few rebounds a night give him a, a few garbage points and uh He's pretty pretty athletic for a guy his size. A lot stronger than he looks. He's kind of got a doughy body, but it's it's a you know it's all muscle under there. It's just not the most ripped physique. And he's has got an all right touch too. I mean, he's a serviceable big man. Uh, I just don't know how to project him though because we've seen so little of him.
1: Uh, I will say though, I think you guys got Justin Holiday trade.
0: We got. I think we got fleeced on the Justin Holiday trade. I, right. I mourn the loss of two second-round picks. We don't have a lot uh, to go around.
1: I know. I was like, two second-round picks for a team that needs picks. And we needed for, a shooter. Play, him? And
0: he is an average shooter at best. And when we picked him up, he was on a super cold streak. And we were, it were we were probably like three weeks too late on being good as well. Like, we are pretty yeah. well removed from our hot streak. It was a, re- a real last-ditch effort. I don't like our front office. Chris Wallace hasn't proved to be very good. And if he wasn't shadow banned from the entire league, I would be praying for Sam Hankey to take his job this summer. Right. You know, that guy knows how yeah, to tank.
1: You know, I've been following the grist, especially after last year, because you you were the guys who didn't trade Tyreek Evans, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah, we had him benched and we had a pick, a offer on the table for two second round picks and we just didn't pull the trigger.
1: I remember thinking what the hell are you doing? You're one of the worst teams in the league. You're tanking, I guess. You've got an asset on a one-year contract. You take what you can get. He's not going to be signed.
0: I remember hearing rumors at the time that we wanted to flip Tyreek for Marcus Smart, which is so... Why? It's like so... I mean, he, he'd be a good fit for like the personality of the team. I like Marcus Smart, but he's so much yeah. better than Tyreek Evans, and his deal is so different. I don't see how on earth Chris Wallace thought he could get Danny Ainge to do that. So... Shows you. We, just can always, how the... we
1: can debate we can debate the, the merits of any deal. You know, you don't know what's there. But the fact that he wasn't traded last year, I just went What is going on with your front office?
0: Yeah. I mean you could argue that does not
1: make sense on any level.
0: You could argue that, you know, any transaction is is good in some way, but that non transaction is just completely indefensible. It just it it should have no happened. Sense.
1: Even if you think, what, like he's worth more, okay, maybe, but now you've got nothing for
0: Right. It's just like the Mark situation a little bit. But we had this deal lined up with uh, Charlotte where we were probably going to be getting back uh, Malik Monk, maybe, and maybe right. a protected first round pick, and maybe Biombo or, and MKG or, or Frank Kaminsky, something. Some Charlotte deal was on the table, but. We just got teased for 24 to 48 hours and ended up having to make a last-minute deal in the in the final hour of the trade deadline with Toronto. And we didn't really get that much back for him. frankly. I mean, we got a couple of decent 26-year-olds, um, a scrubby bad contract who still might be one of the best wings on the team, and a second-round pick that's so far in the future that it feels like a throw-in at best. So, I mean, I, I wish we could have squeezed a first out of you guys. Even if it's a poor, poor quality first from this upcoming season's draft or something like that, I would have been ecstatic to get anything that looks like a first-round pick.
1: Oh, yeah. I remember, like, when the deal was announced, I was like, oh, okay, and what else are we giving?
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh. Oh. <laughs> I was like, oh, just...
1: okay.
0: So Jonas Valanciunas I... was the centerpiece, huh? <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, I was. I remember thinking – do they know that Delon Wright's gonna be an RFA at the, in India? And I, I'm like, why why CJ Miles? I was like, do they want CJ or or is like, are they doing us solid because we don't have to pay him the nine million dollars he makes next year or whatever the hell?
0: Yeah, I'm just like, I,
1: I didn't understand, but I was like, I'm gonna take Marcus Saul and thank you, but what's in it for you? The second round pick in twenty twenty four or whatever the hell it is?
0: <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what it is. Uh, I'll just look out for Masayu Ujiri to throw Chris Wallace a bone at some point in the future. You no, know, depending on the size of the bone, we might not even notice it could fly right under the radar. I,
1: I, I mean, maybe it's also like, I don't know. Maybe it's everybody hates the Lakers and the Celtics. And so they want to like help their competitors or something.
0: <laughs> you know, there's honestly uh, a, probably a little bit more truth to that than either one of us are willing to admit or predict. I feel like gamesmanship and NBA front offices is, is a lot more uh, pertinent than people might initially think.
1: Put, put it this way. I'm sure you haven't heard, but I'm obsessed with fantasy basketball. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> so I, uh, I traded Victor Oladipo last night because it's a dynasty league, right? So we can keep these guys forever. And I just, I think his career's over. Like I think he can play again, but I just, I don't think he's gonna be the same player. Um, it was interesting too because the guy I traded him to is actually, uh, he works in the medical field and his analysis was the same as mine. I didn't even tell him what my analysis was. He's not even sure that Victor Lodipo is, is gonna have a career because he, this, this gruesome quad tear injury is just so rare. Um,
0: Plus, it came from him sort of pushing himself, too. Like, he was out with, you know, just, a, like, some sort of vague soreness, like, general soreness type of thing for a while before, and when he yeah. went down with the initial injury, people were saying that he'd be out for longer than he was, and, like, he was pushing himself to try to help his team win, and then when you get injured under those sort of circumstances, that's usually when it's the worst.
1: Yeah, I agree. So, it's like he's got more than one injury. Anyway, so whatever, so I was like, so I got to trade the guy and just get whatever I can. So my team's in first place in that league, and I was like, well, I got to trade Oladipo. So I said, look, I just I want to get somebody for him that'll help me this year, um, and whatever. And so whatever, so I trade the I trade him, and then I get uh, I get Schroeder and a couple picks. But I'm the reason I bring this up is is there's another guy in my league who's my biggest competition for the championship. And I traded Victor Oladipo to this other manager, probably getting less than I maybe could have gotten from the other manager because I didn't want the other manager to get Victor Oladipo just in case he turns out to be good.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's how you gotta do it, when right? Multiple Whereas seasons it, are affected. If, if I
1: lose the trade, but this guy gets Oladipo, I'm like, I'm fine with it because at least my main competitor didn't get it.
0: I was surprised Marcus didn't end up on the Lakers, honestly. Early on I, I thought that'd be a really good destination for him and I figured that maybe magic could persuade him to uh to opt out of his contract and help the Lakers out. Uh take a, a week let let them waive the cap hole during free agency so he doesn't affect their, their free agency plans and then to sign like a four year, eight million dollar a year a year contract where he effectively gets like the money he would get at the end of this contract if he opted in and a little bit more over a little bit longer guaranteed period. I thought that would be a nice match, you know, where he goes to a oh, cap space team.
1: I agree, but I think you're omitting one small detail. Um, and that's my working theory that Magic Johnson has no idea what he's doing. <laughs> yeah, I, after, after I, the I trend, I might be gentleman. looking at it. They're going to screw that whole thing up. They're
0: going to screw that whole team up. I had a I had a Laker fan friend telling me earlier in the week four four out of the five minus heart of the Lakers young core all had All Star potential Zubac oh, yeah. included and and uh, and then they traded them for Mike Muscala and I just you know being the oh, persnickety doing. smartass I am I asked him if he thought Mike Mascala had all star potential yeah, he told exactly. me the same thing that you just told me He's like I think Magic has no idea what he's doing
1: <laughs> I think he's doing no, but you know I also think was his name Del Demps right I think he's oh yeah package. that's his name
0: he too has I think no he, idea what he's,
1: he's doing. I think he also has no idea what he's doing
0: remember um I think it was maybe even almost a whole year ago, David Stern just plain called him a bad GM just for yeah. <laughs> like wanting to trade for Luis Scola <laughs> from Chris Paul.
1: Uh, it just makes no sense because I was like, if that's true, and it's been so widely reported, you got to think it's true. Even if you hate the Lakers, you're going to get Kuzma, Ingram, Lonzo, you know, Zubaj, Picks, and you say No.
0: I just don't You're understand no. why they weren't even willing to make a counter offer. Like, if you really wanted them to, like, have the gall to offer you literally every single asset they possibly could offer you—eight total draft picks and all four or five of their young guys—then um, good for you for having that sort of audacity but I would have gladly taken four out of the five young guys and six picks, you know, get 10 assets in
1: return. I would have taken two of them and the first rounder. you know, and then, and also doesn't make sense to me. The whole thinking is that, Oh, everyone's keeps saying the Celtics, the Celtics are going to get in on the bidding and then they have a lot to offer. I look, I like Tatum and, but the picks, the picks are useless. Okay, cool. You're going to get three or four picks. in one of the, I think one of the worst drafts in NBA history is the draft that's upcoming. So why do you want, you know, such a state? I mean, Tatum I get, but is Tatum better than Kuzma and Ingram and Lonzo Ball? And I mean, you know, it just seems like a divorce. You know, it just seems like mommy and daddy are fighting again. And, you know, mommy doesn't want the boat, but mommy doesn't want daddy to have the boat. (laughs)
0: <laughs> and
1: it's taking a <laughs> yeah. little bit
0: too long to fill out all the paperwork and it's getting dragged out a little bit longer than everyone expected.
1: Right. <laughs> and that's just, you know, and it's look like, I mean and I think the all kids are
0: blaming themselves. The Let's Celtics
1: see. aren't going anywhere this year. Everyone's like, Oh the Celtics, the Celtics. Yeah, yeah, good luck with the Celtics. They're they're what, the fifth best team in the conference?
0: I mean, record wise. Yeah, sure. yeah. Yeah, I I don't like that team. I wasn't on the the bandwagon of they're gonna win sixty eight games this season on the during the preseason, and uh, I'm I'm glad I wasn't because I would be so disappointed right now. But they just they actually have too much talent for their own good. And Brad Stevens, as good of a coach as he is for like the X's and O's type stuff, it looks like he's not really the the greatest personality manager that like the an NBA coach needs to be.
1: I I think it's simpler than that. Would you be friends with a guy who said the earth is flat?
0: You know, I would be friends with him, but I don't think I could be best friends with him.
1: (laughs) How how can you respect somebody like Kyrie Irving? Because if he's saying stuff like that publicly, how stupid is this guy?
0: And then, like, even when he apologized for it, he didn't really apologize for it. He was like, yeah, I handled things the wrong way, and that was wrong. (laughs) Or just some crap. He never really said sorry.
1: this guy is saying the dumbest crap and all of his teammates are like who the hell is this guy I, I get it you can score but now it's like he, he's scoring but he's taking it all away from these other people now he's trying to be a leader but he's playing dumb stuff but, you know I, I just think like we as fans you know and writers or, and, and you know media essentially like we're not privy to the inner workings of um, you know sort of NBA dressing rooms but they're still human beings. And if you don't get along or someone's clearly like not playing with a full deck, like I think that erodes team chemistry.
0: Yeah, for sure, for sure. I think it would be better if it was all out there in the open, you know? Like I would love to see the clippers or somebody like start a literal reality show about like what's happening in the locker rooms, what's happening during practices. The, the stuff that we never see, just put it all on camera and broadcast it on Sundays once a week or something,
1: you know? Yeah, that, that would be do, they do that all sports, right? HBO has those shows.
0: Yeah, yeah. It'd be like Hard Knocks, but for like the regular season.
1: <laughs> but you know why I think it would never happen? Part of the appeal of those, like the Hard Knocks, because they do it for hockey and uh, and I know they do it for football. Um, but those guys, it's like, you don't really get a chance to get to know them. So it's, it's kind of interesting. You're, you're like getting to know the inner workings of the team, but you're also kind of getting to know the players. But the NBA, um, ever since the eighties, basically is marketing the league very effectively based on the personalities of the players. Right. So it's kind of like, they all have such strong images to the public, that may or may not be true, but they sell tickets, they sell viewership um, in, in such a way that if we were actually able to see what they were really, really like, because uh, I imagine that a lot of these images are manufactured, it would take away um, from that perception. And then I think people would be shocked, like, like how terrible some of them are.
0: Yeah, because... Um... I've always, maybe not always, but for a long time i felt like I've had this little uh, non-ironed out theory that probably 9 out of 10 dudes that are in the NBA are just total assholes. <laughs> just overly competitive. Like, you know that one guy in the gym that's just way too good at basketball? and is yeah. way too big of a dickhead about it. I feel like that's almost everyone in the league. <laughs> just because how could well, you not yeah. be if you could dunk well, that well?
1: But it's not even that, because there's a lot of people who are good at sports, but the other leagues aren't like that. And I think it's because of the way they market the NBA, and they they cater to the superstars, and they market and brand the superstars. And so not only are you breeding a culture of narcissists, you're attracting narcissists, you're perpetuating narcissism. Um, And, you know, I've done a lot of statistical work. I've created my own stats, actually, called Echo Stats, where I utilize um, economic concepts and I I put a price to stats. So it's a fancy way of saying, like, like, for example, take the Raptors as an example. Like, I'll look at someone like Pascal Siakam and Kawhi Leonard and I'll go, Kawhi Leonard is more productive than Pascal Siakam, but he costs 10 times as much money as Pascal Siakam. So there's a real flaw in the statistics because the contracts of the players are not taken to the, uh, the equation when you calculate the statistics. Mm-hmm. Like if you look at a basketball player as essentially a purveyor of statistics, well, it's, you can't look at it in isolation because we're in a salary cap era. So you need to understand that you're spending money for those statistics and it doesn't make any sense to spend 10 times as much money for the exact same statistics. So anyway, this is all to say that the numbers are out of whack. And I I, I think I could prove that um, not only do superstars not make for winning teams, that I believe that teams win uh, despite the superstars based on how they manage their financial resources um, that are not spent on the superstar. I think the greatest benefit of players like Kawhi Leonard and LeBron James is not their production. Um, because even LeBron James, he puts up these numbers. I was, I was on another podcast earlier today with uh, some in, Indiana guys. And, um, you know, we were talking about LeBron James. And I was like, you know, what's interesting with LeBron James is he'll go 31-7-7. and 7. Everyone thinks he's great. He's great. He is, but he doesn't play any defense. And if you look at his plus-minus, he'll put up these monster games and he'll be like negative four. So it's like his team is like four points better when he's not playing, and you go, "Well, how is that possible?" He did this. He got steals. He got blocks. you got because he didn't play any defense, and he gets a lot of turnovers. And it's a team game. But the real benefit of guys like LeBron James and Kawhi Leonard, like for example, because Kawhi Leonard's on our team, or whatever, you know, Jeremy Lin, who makes twelve million dollars a year, he gets bought out by the Hawks this week. And he decides he wants to come to the Raptors because he wants to, you know, win a championship or, or get some attention, whatever his motivation is. He wants to be on us because we're a winning team. So he cuts his salary way down. So he, he's probably going to sign, he's probably signed for like the minimum and it's pro rated over the last, you know, 30 games of the season. He probably makes under a million dollars this year for a guy who was making 12 million a season for the last three years. So we get this, we get a very, very significant discount um, on a player. Um, because he's attracted to the team. But I argue, yeah, but the reason that we have a chance to win is because we got guys like Jeremy Lin who are really, really great values. So you look at someone like LeBron James and you get guys like, you know, Rondo, you get guys like JaVale McGee, uh, you get guys who are willing to cut their salary way down to play with him. But the reason that they have a chance to win is that, um, their budget is so uh, economically uh, procured with all the other money around LeBron James. So in that way, it's he's an interesting investment. But it, it again, it, it just means that the teams that win, I think, are the ones that allocate allocate the resources um, most expertly uh, to the supporting cast.
0: Basically, because what the opposite of the Grizzlies have done with Chandler Parsons.
1: Basically, opposite what a lot of people do, over the, but or the prevailing ethos of the NBA. Like I think it's, I think it's a myth. I think that people I think, and I think that they don't actually understand that. Like I think it's an error. Like for example, um, you know, in many many different spheres of thought, particularly in economics, um, you often talk about correlation and causation, right? So correlation being, oh, you know, like these two things are related, but causation meaning, well, this happens because of that. So people like, so the correlation is that, oh, all these, all these teams in the NBA um, have won championships and they all have superstars. So there's a correlation between having a superstar winning. But the error, I believe, is that they think the teams are winning because of the superstars. And I don't think that's the case. I think two things. I think that partly is players who wouldn't be superstars become superstars because the team wins, and you're in a league that markets superstars in quotes. So they elevate people on the team to superstar status. Um, And also, I think that you have brilliant teams that allocate very effective financial strategies to all the other players around the superstars, and I believe that that is why. So there's a big error being made. Superstar, and here's what, here's where I think I can prove very easily my theory. If it was all about superstars, which is what everybody says, right? Well, you need superstars. Well, why is it that Anthony Davis is is clearly one of the best superstars in the NBA? And in fact, if you look at PER, player efficiency rating, he's number one in the NBA right now. Why are they such a terrible team? Right? It doesn't make sense. If, 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 If you're saying you need superstars to be a good team, okay, here's a team with one of the best superstars, and they're one of the worst teams. So you can clearly show the difference between correlation and causation. Right, Because you're having a superstar and it's not leading to wins. So now that theory has been debunked. It's somewhat scientific. And yet everyone does it. Everybody thinks you need these big names, you need these big names. You no know, it's, it's really just it's just moneyball, but like taken to the next level.
0: Right. And I think a lot of it has to do as well with uh, marketability. More businessy type of things, less on the court type of things, where you know to get a city behind a team, it's it's a little bit easier to get behind you know a Carmelo Anthony rather than a Dylan Old Gallinari, Wilson Chandler, Ty Lawson, and you know a collection of other
1: dudes. Like uh, I I also don't think that's true. I remember really starting to have these kind of thoughts when the Raptors started to win. And do you know why we started to win? Uh, we had rudy gay i don't know if you remember this few years we had rudy <laughs> gay oh, yeah. and uh, he's terrible he's a terrible player he made so much money so masai jiri comes in and the first thing he does basically is he trades rudy gay because it's like well we weren't winning we gotta get rid of that and so we're starting we're systematically starting to get rid so then he tried to get rid of lauer first first he got rid of rudy gay and he got spare parts back like expiring contracts i think we got like grievous vasquez patrick patterson just just random people Who's smaller contracts, oh, okay, whatever, and then Rudy can go away. And then what happened is we started to win. So Lowry was his next target, and I think that he actually did trade Lowry, but then something happened, like Lowry failed in medical, or there was some sort of controversy or something. So the trade never actually went through, but he was actually traded. But then we started winning games. And then it was like, oh, we're winning, and then we kept winning. Uh, it's like the Los Angeles Clippers, right? They trade Tobias Harris, and was, oh, I guess they're they're tanking and then they keep winning. And you're like, wait, hold on, you just got rid of your best player. Why are you still winning? Because it's a team game with fifteen players on it. That's why. And so that Raptors team, even though we had no names and Lowry was not yes, he was Lowry, but he was an all star at the time. He was just some dude that we wanted to get rid of. But then we kept winning. We kept winning. It was like those the Detroit Pistons, and I think it was two thousand and four or whatever it is. Like none of them were superstars. They were yeah. really like good team.
0: That's that's the team that got me into basketball. I love that team. Chauncey Billups is my favorite
1: player. Yeah, and I think that's it. I think if you're winning, like people will always have a favorite player. Oh, that guy's cute, or oh, this guy's amazing, or oh, I really like that guy's personality. Whatever, right? People want, they, it's like people want to put a name to things. But at the end of the day, look look at the San Antonio Spurs, right? They're one of the most dominant NBA franchises in the last twenty years. And they would just they would constantly find guys like Danny Green out of nowhere. You know? They would find guys like Jonathan Simmons to make a a contribution. Kawhi Leonard was was not even a lottery pick. You know what I mean? And they develop like they just develop like this year they had a guy, Derek White you know, who was like, I think the number 29 or 30th pick in the draft last year. And and he was awesome. He got injured and they get somebody. it's, it's system, it's system over individual. It's a team sport and people think that, oh, it's a superstar league, but you know, is it? Because even when LeBron James, let's say LeBron James, the most talented player of all time. I don't think so. Some people do. Okay. Let's say you think he's one of the top players. Well, then, why does he need two other superstars to come to his team in order to win a championship? Because even he recognizes you need a team to team game.
0: Yeah. It's impossible to do it alone on a basketball court. That's for sure.
1: Yeah. And there's just so much evidence where one great individual player, but he doesn't have a great team around him and they lose. So maybe you should be like the Celtics were better last year without Kyrie Irving when he was injured because they, they function more as a team. Now you throw this crazy guy in there who thinks the earth is flat you know who needs 20 shots a game so he can score 26 and talk about how great he is whereas everyone else now is upset because now they don't get to shoot as much now they have to deal with his ego and then him trying to be a leader you can only imagine things that he's saying to them when he's trying to lead them
0: yeah apparently he's fucking up and having to call LeBron and apologize for being as big of a shithead as his teammates
1: yeah yeah. But 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 the but the point remains, right? You you go Well how come this team was better last year without their superstar when your superstar was injured? Well, because it's the team.
0: Yeah, I think you're definitely on to something for sure. I mean that um that Nuggets team I was talking about earlier, um, I feel like it was no, I don't feel like I know. I'm certain about how um it was the final Nuggets team that Masai uh mm-hmm. Um uh,
1: yeah the Carmelo Anthony,
0: yeah kind of, yeah. yeah when we <laughs> traded away Carmelo and Chauncey did all that. that team was so loaded with um not great but good players, and we were super successful. We had the Coach of the year and George Carl before he was uh shadow realm to the Kings, yeah it was it was a really good team with absolutely no superstar, and it's it, it's a hard absolutely, nobody was That's- even close.
1: Look and look. Not only is there a historical precedent, many, many, many times it's been done. Many, many times. Um, I believe it's even more paramount that that philosophy is espoused in contemporary basketball in the NBA because now we're essentially in a salary cap form um, era. So even though it's not necessarily a hard cap because you can incur luxury taxes, the reality is most teams don't want to incur luxury taxes. So you see all these weird transactions where. People are giving away their best players and a second-round pick just so that they save money. I mean, what was that thing? I think the Thunder basically gave um, Carmelo Anthony away because by keeping him on the team, it would have cost them like an extra $80 million for one guy or
0: something. Right. For the repeater tax, it's basically like an exponential effect and yada, yada, yada. They attached a Dennis Smith to it to match the deal and ended up effectively trading a first-round pick for Dennis Smith and Carmelo for nothing.
1: <laughs> right, but what, is it, what does it mean? Um, well, it just means that we're in a salary cap era, and you really need to uh, like balance your budget. You really need to manage your finances, and that's a big key ingredient to NBA success.
0: Yeah, I mean, it turns trading Tyler Johnson, a perfectly functional NBA guard, For Ryan Anderson, a guy who's barely in the league but making big money, uh, a good move just because Ryan Anderson's contract is slightly smaller and it puts the heat just underneath the luxury tax line and saves them a ton of money.
1: Right. So this is why I've created my Echo Stats because I think more than ever, um, considering um, the cost and the relative cost between players – with regard to their production, is such an essential uh, NBA strategy and people don't seem uh, to really understand the financial mechanisms behind the NBA. It's like people don't understand the economics of the NBA, even even the teams. It's very rare that you'll see a team that even operates in this sort of rational salary cap format. Like, you know, the first thing that I would want to do is get rid of every single player that makes more than $10 million. I would, I, my whole team would make $10 million. Because as soon as you – like, I would figure out what exactly – and then and then never pay more than that number. Because at a certain level, um, it's inefficient to – like, even someone like, like Kawhi Leonard, you know. Okay, right now he's – I guess it's a deal. Like, he's making, like, something like $22, $23 million. So even if we were to sign him, let's say he maxed out with us, So we're going to give this guy, what, like $40 million when our our whole payroll this year is $140 million. So you're talking about what, like about 30% of your entire payroll for one guy? And if you look at our plus-minus stats, you know where Kawhi Leonard ranks on our team for plus-minus? He's like fifth. So that means you could make a case that there are four other guys who are actually more helpful to the team's success than Kawhi Leonard. And then when you incorporate the fact that he costs three times as much as some of the other stars, and in Pascal Siakam's case, Pascal makes off $1.5 million this year, Kawhi makes $22 million. So you even out their production, he's still making 10 times the amount. And you go, even if Kawhi Leonard is amazing, which he is, he's, he's, he's having a great year. He's so overpriced that you want to purge people like Kawhi Leonard from your roster in order to compete in a salary cap context. So, anyway, it's somewhat provocative, but I think it's accurate.
0: Oh, yeah. Abs- I mean, you're right on right on the money for sure, But being both provocative and accurate. Because it's definitely not the status quo to say that you need less Kawhi Leonard's on your team, you know. But it's like at the same time, I definitely want to figure out how to how to go about using your eco stats to to prove my theory that Chandler Parsons is the worst player per dollar in the
1: NBA? <laughs> I think that would be very very easy to prove very quickly.
0: <laughs> well, um, running a little bit long here, so before I let you go, anywhere that you want to shout out or any anything uh, else you would like to share?
1: Um, no, oh man, I've had I've had a good time. You know your stuff. Uh, I just want to thank you for. Marc Oh <laughs> uh, Yeah, thank you for uh,
0: being a winning environment for him to play in.
1: <laughs> yeah, and honestly, like, it goes the other way too, you know, like, I, I really did like JV and DeLon. Uh, CJ Miles. I could live without. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> nice. But I definitely pay a little more attention to Memphis because of those guys. And, um, you know, so hopefully um, you'll get a little bit of, uh, you know, Toronto support for Memphis as well. So yeah. it'll go both ways and bring our cities a bit closer together. That'd be nice. Oh
0: yeah, for sure. We'll uh, we'll be rooting for each other in the future. Uh, maybe yeah, sure. maybe during the the early parts of the off season, I could bring you on. We could talk a little bit of draft talk because I I am not as prospect literate as I would like to be. I'm a uh, I'm getting with another NBA scouting type of guy later in the week to do a collaboration with him. Uh, maybe we could bring you two together at some point.
1: Anytime, brother. I'm. I'm you just give me a buzz. All right. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it was a lot of fun.